Chapter 10 Ashgarden Vaslo shielded his eyes against the late morning's light and sighed. What have you gotten us into, Corey? Lord Olney Braden did not make it sound half so bad as this, he said apologetically, then nervously eyed his wagon and wondered to himself if they would make it to the Land Baron's mansion. Ashgarden was not a walled city, and so it was easy to see the several high beams of wood that arose every block or so. They were two or even three times the height of a man, and to each of them was strapped at least one corpse. Below their rotted vestiges was a city filled with uneasy quiet, except for patrolling units of soldiers who all appeared to be on alert, their weapons in hand. On the side of a tall building only a little way down, someone on a wooden ladder was trying to wash off half of a white curve that had been drawn in chalk. A small red blotch, not quite clearly removed, dripped next to it. The same symbol, Corey guessed, then regarded the swordsman. So that new religion did have something to do with the unrest here. Lots of reasons for a lack of rest these days. Vaslo climbed down from the wagon and walked forward to grab the lead horse's bit with one hand, while resting his other on the handle of his dirk. We'll go slowly. Once some guards come to question us, they can lead the way. They cautiously made their way through the street. The duelist could smell cooking and could hear people talking in their houses. Still, doors and shutters were closed. One would think there was a plague in town. In a sense, he supposed, there was. Civil unrest was a dark thing. With the right mix of deadly ingredients, it could certainly kill as many people as an illness. Somewhere, down some pathway and not all too far away, he heard the sudden eruption of a fight. Wooden metal striking wooden metal. What's your business, courses? A deep voice shouted out at them. Vaslo turned and found two guards in ringed mail and coifs walking towards them. They each wore a cape over one arm, decorated in stripes of forest green and dark blue. The second guard spoke this time. The trader's gate is the north road, and all merchants are directed to report to Lord Thotter's estate immediately. We are very sorry. We came this way from Bradhall, Corey explained, then turned and reached into his wagon, fumbling about for a moment before turning back to them with a brown scroll of sealed parchment in one hand. Lord Olney Braden sends us at the direct request of Lord Ain Thotto, with his regards. From Bradhall? The elder guard raised an eyebrow, then stepped up and took the scroll from Corey. He stared at the wax seal, then passed it to the other guard. I've no eye for sigils and all. Is that right? Yes, the younger one assured him. That is Lord Braden's seal. Wait, that means... He looked up at Corey with awe in his eyes. You're Vaslo Stepman! The master duelist, wearing his dueling leathers, clearly bearing two weapons, and adorned at the left breast with a duelist's pin, stepped forward. I'm Vaslo Stepman. A strangely common mistake. Corey apologized with half a grin. The younger guard didn't seem to like that much, and threw a skeptical eye up and down Voslo. Thought you'd be taller. So did my dad, he grunted. Will you escort us to your lord, or must we find the way ourselves? We'll take you, the guard said. The sound of fighting nearby was already dying down, but had been replaced by the wailing of a woman. Better go this way, then, he said, jerking his head a different direction. Really would have been better if you came through the north gate. That's where we're strongest. Bezrin's unit should be here somewhere, the older guard said. Let's form in with them. It'll be safer. He looked at the wagon with concern. Don't worry, the younger one said, confidently. We've Vaslo Stepman with us now. 
You once chased a whole pack of monstrous wolves out of Sutton all by himself, wearing nothing but his trousers and armed only with a single torch. Vaslo had never owned a pair of trousers, but he let that slide, and they fell under line with the guards. It took nearly five hours to make their way through alleys and back roads. Captain Bezerin joined them with a medley of city guards and soldiers, and steered the crew inconspicuously towards a gate that led around behind the city. After following a palisade for a while along a neglected road, they came to the gated back entrance of a lavish garden. When they approached, two guards offered the Belmarin bow to the captain. Our lord is expecting them. Sir Nessor Bezerin sounded anything but enthusiastic. His voice was low and tired, though it still had the softness of some youth to it. He was too young, in Voslo's estimate, to be a captain, and so he guessed the rank had more to do with noble birth than anything else. The young man was tall with feathery brown hair, and unlike most the other guards, wore no coif, cap, or helmet to cover his head and face. One of the guards produced a large iron key, and used it to unlock and then open the black iron gate. You were wise coming this way, good courser, he said as they passed through. I hear Sir Alden is getting put to task up front at the north entrance to the estate. Larger mob than usual today. Seems we came the right way after all, Corey whispered to Vosler as they passed through the gate and into the lavish garden it protected. Palisades laden with vines hedged in the path they were on, leaving it just barely wide enough for the wagon. The growth on them was so thick that they served as walls, and there was no way to see what was on the other side. Periodically they were interrupted by a bush or small tree, always well-trimmed and of ornamental appearance. "'Where are we?' Corey asked the nearest guard in the company. He pulled the coif back from his head. "'We're in the garden that runs adjacent to the Lamb Baron's mansion. "'This was Sir Canlo's estate once. "'When he passed, he left it to his daughter Elora, but she came into debt, "'and Lord Thoto quietly bought the estate from her. "'Only the city guard knows that he owns it. "'As far as everyone else is concerned, it still belongs to the lady, "'and Lord Thoto allows her to continue living here. "'This garden is meant to be jarring for people who don't know the way, "'but it leads to a rear entrance of our lord's estate.' We've used it too often as of late, if you ask me. But things being what they are, there is little help for it. The unrest is so bad here, Corey continued. We saw people hiding in their homes when we first came in, and heard some fighting somewhere off in the distance. I might have thought to find Bradhall in such shape, with the drought and all, but they seem to be having an easier time of it than you. The guard scratched at his shortcut, unwashed brown hair. Bradhall is the benefit of the Black Tower and standing militia. Besides... I reckon everyone quietly knows that if they piss off that short-tempered lord of theirs, they'll get no water at all. It's not like that here. There has always been food and water aplenty. The riverlands are blessed by rich, dark soil that anyone can grow anything in, and water flows everywhere. Even in this drought, no well has gone dry that I've heard of. Then why the brutal crackdown on your free folk? Vazdo asked. He always liked to put an exaggerated emphasis on the word free folk since, by his view, they were anything but free. It was the young, tired-sounding Captain Bezerin that answered as they walked. Don't let Mr. Sandin here deceive you, Master Doolist. The drought has hit us. Livestock have died. Creeks have vanished. We suffered an unexpected freeze late in the season, and lost many early fruits to it, and a fair share of wheat. We would have been hard-pressed as it is, but with the Lord Steward's new tax and demand to levy troops, we are pushed to breaking. There's many a city and village that endures a hardship together, and fairly. 
Why the special unrest here? Vazno asked. I can't speak for many a city and village, Master Duelist, the captain conceded. Here, desperation led to banditry. The few and important courses wagons who set out for Ashgarden were often attacked and robbed once they neared our city. This included wagons that were specifically bound to Lord Toto's estate, furnishing provisions for our own levy of troops, as per the Lord Steward's decree. To protect these traders and our provisions, a temporary new system has been set up. Traders must first go to the land baron's estate, and then from there, a newly designated group of merchants will sell what is left to the citizens, and at a fair enough price. Vaslo heard one of the other guards mutter a fair enough price, contemptuously under his breath, and guessed that the prices were anything but. Captain Bezrin gave the guard a sharp look, but then just sighed, and guided the horses of the wagon down a new path to their right. Taxes, growing military presence, and scarcity of food. Seems a fine enough cocktail for unrest to me, Vaslo admitted. Not to mention that the joinings have been dissolved, Cory added. It's a proper shit stew, all right, Bezrin said. There's a woman, the daughter of a smithy here in town, and stronger than a woman has any right to be. She organized the protests, and soon, protests turned to riots, and riots turned to attacks on the guards. That's when Lord Thoto instituted a curfew, only made things worse. Free folk who weren't so against us before the curfew, well, they had a change of heart. Free folk who weren't so against us before the curfew, well, they had a change of heart. Now the whole city feels like us against them. I used to take pride in protecting these people, you know. He spit onto the ground and rubbed at his jaw in frustration. Now the people who used to offer to buy me a drink after a long day... Those same people, they throw stones at me and wish me dead. Corey looked ominously to Vaslo, then back to the captain. This woman smithy you mention, is she connected to the new religion that people are talking about? You know, the lion and all. Is Carthine a follower of that lion fellow? Bezrin almost allowed himself a laugh before straightening his lips once more. No, I would be extremely surprised if she gave herself over to some such nonsense. She's firm in the Book of Proofs. She's just pissed at her overlord. Her family has bad blood with the Thotos, and she's always been an outspoken critic of the Lord's steward. She believes the young Prince Darren should have the throne, with a circle of trusted counsellors and advisers. When Steward Yosin Belkine dissolved the joinings and issued a new tax, it was just the excuse she needed to shout louder. It caught on about as well as fire in a hay barn. Vosla thumbed the handle of his dirk tucked beneath the leather belt that held up his other weapons. I've seen a fire in a hay barn as it happens, and I've seen your city. I'd say the analogy stands. Are you sure, though, that the lion or his ilk had no role in this? We passed through Bear's Ford yesterday, and it was burnt to the ground. Everyone stopped at that, and a hushed worry grew among all the guards. Nessel Bezrin held Boslo Square with his eyes. Bear's Ford is gone. How could you not know? Corey asked. The guards all exchanged shameful looks. We've been so tied up here, one of them said. By the proofs, I have a cousin there. What happened? Were there survivors? Corpses? Bezrin asked. Vazdo shook his head. A few corpses. I'll admit, though, we didn't dig through much of it. Most of the place was burnt, and doors had been cut down with axes. One body we found had clearly been stabbed before the fire got to her. Bandits, then, the captain reasoned, and spit on the ground. I don't think so. 
Not unless these bandits had religious arts, the duelist corrected. I saw no sword or spear marks, at least on what Corey and I examined. It was plowing tools, axes, small knives, the sort of thing anyone has. Most importantly, there were a few homes marked with a strange symbol that we think might indicate a follower of the lion. Those houses were completely untouched, though deserted as well. The mention of the symbol seemed to twist the captain's face, and he gave a knowing look around to the others. Two white curves with a red dot. The same, Corey assured him. We thought it sort of looked like a lion's mane, and the two smaller slashes like eyes. Hadn't thought of that. Looked like a white heart of some such to me. The cult of the Lion of Dividine has come to the Riverlands, then. The words were clearly sour in the captain's mouth. Piker boy! he shouted over a shoulder. Sir! The youngest of the guards stepped forward, though he was probably only a few years younger than the captain. Go to the southern gate and look for Hanwell's squad. Take land from the garden entrance with you. When you meet them, tell them you need two more guards, at my request, to accompany you on a day-long expedition to Bears Ford. Gather as much information there as you can. Search every home. Tally the dead. Guess the missing. Get into those homes that are still standing, the ones marked by that symbol we've seen around, and leave nothing untouched and unturned. I suspect Sir Eldon will demand a thorough report by morning, and it better be in my hand when he asks for it. Understood? Understood, sir. The young guard gave a Belmoran bow, one closed fist over his heart as he bent lightly forward, and then immediately left on his way. Captain Bezrin looked around them as though he was suddenly wary of every bush and shadow. Best get moving again. The same uneasy quiet they had met in the streets of Ashgarden now descended on their little troop. The captain, from Voslo's high vantage point on the wagon, seemed to be mouthing things to himself in frustration, arguing with someone unseen, though he thought he heard the name Carthine once or twice. A few of the other guards had fallen in closer to each other and were exchanging whispers. Corey leaned in close to Voslo. I believe our new job will be... What was the word you used the other day? Interesting? Aye. They turned and rode under a high trellis, wrapped thick with dark green vines. There were less trees in this new part of the yard, though still high thickets of bushes and plants, and brightly coloured flowers. This must be... Vaslo's words were interrupted by a hickory nut slapping into his arm at considerable speed, then rolling off him onto the wagon. He raised an eyebrow and looked around. The captain must have heard something too, because he looked over his shoulder at Voslo. No sooner had the eyes met than another green hickory nut thwacked harmlessly into the captain's chest. There was a giggle then, somewhere nearby, and one side of the young man's worn face curled up into a smile. What's the secret code? A young girl's voice cried out, and Voslo realized it was coming from the other side of a bush a little way down. Captain Nassau Bezerin threw his arms wide, and was one leg forward, bowed deep at the waist in submission. Boys are gross! he said loudly, and with more enthusiasm than he had said anything else since they met him. A young girl, maybe twelve or thirteen years old, jumped out excitedly from behind the flowers. She had raven-black hair that fell near to her waist, with lightly tanned skin and dark, almond eyes. She was tall, for what appeared to be her age, and had on a light brown dress that exposed her arms but otherwise covered her to the ankles. A crude slingshot hung from one wrist. Bezzy! she shouted, then ran up to the captain. Though she was a tall girl, the captain was taller still, and he bent a little to catch her with a hug. Ah, Mia, it is hardly good manners to assault our guests without meeting them first, the captain said, and regained his composure. 
And what honored company are you escorting today, huh? She put her hands on her hips and stared judgingly up at the wagon and the two people on its riding bench. It was one of the other guards who answered. That there's the famous master duelist, Vaslo Stepman. Her eyes narrowed, then relaxed. Never heard of him. And you? She thrust a finger out, pointing to his companion. Corey stood and took his cap off, then bowed. Corey Rush, my lady, Vaslo's business partner, and a courser riding out of Solmar. He put his cap back on and sat, all smiles. Amia sat there for a second, her head tilted slightly, eyebrow raised. Have I seen you somewhere? Do you trade in Gladborough, perhaps? I trade a little bit of everywhere, my lady. Gladborough? Is that north of the Emerald Swamp? Northern Solmar, yes? That's the one, she said. I have done some business north of the swamp in the past, he answered. So it is possible. She squinted again, then turned her discriminations back to Voslo. Famous duelist? Why are you famous? For dueling, I reckon. Some master duelist you are couldn't even dodge a girl's slingshot. She puffed. Did you steal that from Bran? The captain asked, grabbing the slingshot away from her and holding it high so that she couldn't snatch it right back. He said I could use it, she protested, getting up on her toes and trying to grab at it. Amia, Captain Bezrin said, suddenly stern, and the girl pulled away a little bit and pushed her dress a little more over one shoulder. What? She asked in a tone that said she knew the answer. Bezrin stepped forward and moved the shoulder of her dress up and away from her arm, revealing a dark bruise. She just looked down at the ground, that bright face so full of life only a moment ago, now suddenly ashen-looking. Our lord, Ain Thoto, is tasked with your safekeeping until your lady mother returns to take you back home. For the last time, we can't return you looking like one of those great spotted leopards of the snowy black mountains, he said sternly. Corey decided to fill the awkward silence that followed, and mercifully changed the subject. You share your name with her highness, the princess-in-waiting, Amia. That brought some light back to the girl's face, and she snapped a big smile up to the merchant. That's right. My mother was at the palace when Princess Armia was born, and she said the infant princess was so beautiful and charming that she resolved then and there to name her own daughter after her, in the hopes of catching some of that eloquence. There's power in names, you know. There must be. Corey smiled. I have never seen her, but it is hard to imagine another young lady so radiant as yourself. And you are Armia of which house? You are clearly nobly born. She pulled the sides of her dress out a little and offered a polite curtsy. Amia Valmartani, pleased to meet you, says Stepman in Rush. Valmartani? Corey sounded impressed. Your house is related to the regent of Galwyn, then? He is my grandmother's cousin, she answered proudly. When I lived with my grandmother in Galwyn, I played with his grandchildren, Anya and Nico. Our two families have always been close, you know. We'd play hide-and-seek in the port and always get in trouble, she laughed. I believe that, Captain Bezrin remarked. We can't stand here all day, though. Our guests will be needing to see Lord Thoto right away. Why don't you come with us, too? You can change into something that covers that bruise, you rambunctious creature, you. The young lady may ride up here with us, if she would like, Corey offered, scooting over a little and pressing Vaslo to make room. Yes, she yelped, and before Bezrin could protest, she was up and on the riding bench. For what little remained of their secretive journey to Ayn Thoto's mansion, Amia showed herself to be an inquisitive girl. She peppered them both with questions about the road, the city, where they came from, what the sand path is like, why anyone would be a duelist, and any other question she could think to ask. 
Rather despite himself, Vaslo slowly turned from begrudgingly answering her questions to happily doing so. By the time they reached the rear entrance to the estate, the master duelist had even favored the girl with a few of his stories. It turned out she had told the truth and had no idea who he was, nor had ever heard his exploits. She decided, with a laugh, not to believe any of them. Vasla was trying hard to convince her that the tiger of Corvus really had been a tiger, and not just a dog with stripes, when they approached the rear entry to the land baron's palatial home. Two guards, as at the entrance to the garden, now opened an old iron gate for the company. You and your wagon will be divorced for a little time, the captain told them once they stopped. Two other men, both in black leather from head to toe, took the reins. Where will they take it? Corey got down from the wagon, knowing that he didn't really have a say in what happened to it. I believe that. They will search it for weapons or any other contraband, and a chemist will briefly inspect it for any poisons, he explained. Things really are grim here, Vazla remarked. Amir, notably, said nothing. Her brows furled as she looked up at the stone and timber of the mansion before them. In its four corners there were rounded towers that climbed perhaps a flight above the roof of the house proper. The tiles were bright red, fired clay. High pillars of pine offered their support throughout the entire structure, and there were various blocks of dark stone and bright brick, suggesting the place had been built onto a number of times. Arraying the overhang of the roof were stone animals. Some were ravens by the look of them, but others were wolves and bears. A bear is the house sigil of the Thoto family, Corey noted to his friend, seeming to have noticed that his gaze lingered there. Sigils are strange things, the duelist huffed. What is your family's? Vaslo almost laughed at that. The poor don't have time for things like sigils and mottos. The merchant looked like he might have been about to say what his own sigil was, but then clearly thought better, and said nothing. Follow me, the captain told them, then gave a stern look to Armia. And you go find Lady Sala. Clean up and change into something that covers that bruise. All right, she said sullenly, then turned and gave another quick curtsy to Vaslo and Corey. Hopefully I'll see you all at dinner. With that, she turned and hurried down the path ahead of them, and through one of several doors. A sweet girl, Vaslo confessed, almost like he was embarrassed. Very. Hopefully it's a demeanor we will encounter more often, Corey said. Not likely, Captain Bezrin said as the three walked together down the stone path to the rear entrances of the mansion. Tensions are high within the city guard. Some of us disagree with the harsh measures that have been taken with the suspension of corpses in the streets, by way of example. Others want an even more brutal crackdown. I take it you belong to the former, not the latter, Corey guessed. You'd be right. That was Sir Alden's decision. Said it would scare them straight, I think is how he put it. Take some of the dead and put them up along posts. Show them what happens when you get all upstart and try to rage against your betters. He ran his fingers through his loose brown hair and sighed a tired sigh. All it did was piss them off. They weren't put up there alive, then. Corey sounded relieved. Bezrin shook his head. No, no, nothing like that. Alden is a bastard and a dog, but he's not a monster. At least not yet. The duelist spoke up next. And what does the land baron make of all this? What's the plan to bring this to a peaceful end? I can't say for sure, Bezrin admitted. If I had to guess... He's hoping that Darren's ascension to the throne at the end of summer will put this all to rest. I've heard rumors that the prince is keen to quickly reinstate the joinings. 
Some say that he often escapes the palace and visits villages to see his people, and that he has a soft spot for the free folk. Maybe he'll find a peaceful way forward for all of us and heal this quickly fracturing country. Let's hope he takes after his father, and not his grandfather then, Vazlo added, and the other two nodded grimly. A guard posted at the door stepped aside when they approached. Captain Bezrin led the way through and into a well-lit hallway with high windows and an arched wooden ceiling. When they had made a few turns and Vazlo was thoroughly lost, the captain started shouting down the halls. Lindel! Lindel, where are you, dammit? He grumbled beneath his breath about good work and things that are hard to find. After a few more curses and shouts, a tall stick of a boy came running down a hall towards them. He had short-cut blonde hair, nearly shaved, and the first pathetic whispers of a mustache. He was dressed in a long but faded yellow tunic with sandals on his feet, which made his gait awkward and wide. Yes, Captain, sir. How can I serve you? Lindell asked, clearly out of breath but trying hard not to show it. This is Master Voslo Stepman and Mr. Cory Rush. They will be needing rooms, adjacent, if we have them. Master and Mister. Amazing the difference an eye can make in a meaning. Cory mused, which only seemed to perplex the young servant. Yes, sirs, um, as you say, Lindell stammered, still catching his wind. If you'll follow me. I believe we've a line of rooms that are mostly empty, so you will have plenty of privacy. The estate knows you're here and you are invited to dinner. I will have fresh clothes sent to your rooms and a pot to wash. I'm sorry, a bath won't be drawn until this evening. Do people take baths in the middle of the day? Vasa wondered. Uh, no, well, yes, sir, if it pleases them. You, if it pleases you, but not this middle of the day. I'm sorry to say. We are pressed for good hands right now. Situation as it is and all. The young man managed. Situation as it is. The duelist nodded. Lead the way, Lindell. 